Hey, super friends, my name is Neil, and welcome to episode 49 of the Get Your Comic Con podcast. We are here fortnightly ish to bring you a slice of pop culture goodness from our studio direct to your speakers. I am, of course, joined by my very own boy, Wonder Martin. Say hello, Martin. Hello, Martin. How are you today? I'm alright. You've had an annual leave day? I've left the house and been to work? What have you been doing? Nothing. What do you watch? Uh, I watched a bit of Still Game, a bit of Voyager, and a bit of Frasier. Did you have a nap? No. Did you bake? No, I did that yesterday. Did you do any work? No. That's good. What were we telling the listeners at home about in this week's episode? I don't know. <laughs> so we have some news, which is very uh, Justice League heavy. Uh, I had to cut out a couple of news stories, because actually the Justice League trailer takes up quite a lot of time, I think. Uh, we're also going to talk about the Falcon and Winter Soldier trailer from Disney+. Plus. And then we promised that this episode we would bring back some comic book reviews. So I'm going to talk about two different titles from DC Future State. I am going to talk about uh, Future State Wonder Woman, starring the brand new Wonder Woman, Yara Floor. And I'm also going to talk about Future State Dark Detective, which is the Bruce Wayne story. Now, you've been keeping me in suspense for the last two weeks about this one. What comic book are you talking about? He says nervously, thinking he probably hasn't prepared one. Um, I haven't really prepared one, but I did read... <laughs> Um, Robin Future State this afternoon. So Robin Eternal yes. or Teen Titans? I thought you might have read Teen Titans. No, I went for Robin first. Oh, okay. Both issues? No, just the first one. Oh, okay. So you're going to tell us about that one? Uh, yeah, have a go. <laughs> and we've got a couple of films to talk about this episode. So first up is Batman's Soul of the Dragon from Warner Brothers and DC Comics. That's available now on digital and hits as of, uh, oh, as we're recording this today, so Monday the 15th, available on DVD and Blu-ray as well. And then we're going to talk about Barb and Star from Lionsgate, which is available to uh, rent on pay video on demand platforms. Does that sound reasonable? It sounds all right. <laughs> it's going to be one of those nights, isn't it? Into the news! So I had planned a whole bunch of stuff for us to talk about, but it actually kind of all rolls into one, which is the banner of uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League. So we still don't know exactly when we're going to see this film here in the UK. However, the press release for the most recent trailer does state at the bottom of the email that Zack Snyder's Justice League will be released by Warner Brothers Pictures nationwide. And that is a UK press release. So that sounds as if they're leaning towards either a cinema release, if somehow the cinemas are open. Uh, Again, there's no date on this, so we don't know if it's going to be March 18th, like America, or if it will be another point in time, or it will be a probably pay video on demand situation much like Wonder Woman 1984 is at the moment so we were going to be talking about that we were going to be talking about the fact that we got the reveal of uh, Joker and we saw him for the first time but then they announced that a new trailer was coming on Valentine's Day which for us was yesterday so now we're talking about that too so it's a whole uh, it's a whole mess of Justice League action going on so if you haven't checked out the trailer for Zack Snyder's Justice League yet, it is available on uh, the HBO Max and Warner Brothers YouTube channels. I've got a um, eight minute long video that's up on our YouTube where I dissect some of the different scenes that are in there. And James has written a really amazing piece looking at some of the key moments from it, which is up on our website, www.getyourcomicon.co.uk. And you can check all of those out now. Now I feel like I've asked you this question many times where I've temperature gauged how you're feeling about Zack Snyder's Justice League to give it its official title. How are you feeling about it after this latest trailer? 
has your opinion shifted? No. Okay. So still, I'll take it because it's come in, but I'm not that fast otherwise. Yeah, pretty much, I think. Okay. Was there anything that you did enjoy from this trailer that has made you feel a little bit more enthusiastic about certain aspects of the film? Or is this just more of the same for you, really? Um, I think it's probably just a bit more of the same, really. I'm not really overly excited or not excited. It's interesting to see what he does, but at the same time, we all know how it's going to end. At this point, I think it's probably fair to say if you're not already sold on it, that you're unlikely to become more sold on it without seeing the, the whole film, I think. He's still adamant that Warner Brothers are not interested in doing anything more with it. Um, but he was also adamant that they would never allow him to go back and do it. So <laughs> it's a bit of a watch this space catch 22 scenario. We'll see what happens when it happens, if it happens. Uh, I I enjoyed this trailer. I am a little bit disappointed that they did uh, three days to go, two days to go, one day to go teaser because I feel like some of the biggest things from the trailer were all in that. So in the first one, you got to see Black Suit Superman with the, um, with the heat vision. In the second one, you saw Dark Side with Granny Goodness, which is one of the biggest reveals in the trailer. And in the third one, you got to see Batman standing on the tank from the Dark Knight Returns comic book. And I feel like those are three of the biggest things that are in that trailer. And they were, we'd already seen them by the time the trailer came out. So I think that's a bit of a shame. There's been some interesting talk in the press today because Zack Snyder has been asked how he feels the film is being handled internationally and he's suggested that he feels it's not being handled overly well but does say with any theatrical movie you get two years from when it's greenlit to when it's released for them to get international deals in place whereas this has really only been a six month period maximum between okay we're going to let you do this to it's done, it's ready, it's coming out so he sort of says I don't feel like there's a conspiracy and pauses which means that people are obviously going to feel like there's a bit of a maybe there's a swathe of Warner Brothers that aren't keen on Zack Snyder that are just not doing very much with the film because actually it's better off left where it is but that's unfortunate um, I don't think there other than the, the kind of apocalypse granny goodness decide, apoc uh, dark side scene which I think is really cool I don't know that there's anything that is a huge standout for me in this. It's, it looks much more consistent to me overall, which is obviously the lack of the the, the Whedon reshoots. Um, that's the one and only time I'm going to try and mention that name in this podcast. But I don't know if you agree with me, but it feels much more consistent this time around. I don't know. I need to see the film. I don't know. I mean, it's difficult. It's difficult to judge a four-hour film based on a two-and-a-half-minute trailer. Yeah, it's just. Uh, I don't know. Have to do the whole thing and see what happens. Well, that's that puts a bit of a full stop on that. So one of the things that I did want to talk about was Joker. So we obviously got to see a couple of stills of Joker before this trailer. Uh, there was a Vanity Fair piece, which was an exclusive, where they had the first two images of Joker, and you got to see him uh, in what appears to be almost some medical gear. He's got surgical gloves on and a and an apron. We couldn't see that his hair was green, which is what's confirmed by the trailer. But Zack Snyder in that article talked about the fact that there is a there's another costume, which is a SWAT jacket, which is what we see him wearing in the trailer, which is adorned with badges, which he's kind of collected. What do you think... There's no tattoos, obviously, as well. What do you think of this version of Jared Leto's Joker? 
It's probably a bit more of a maybe more of a classic Joker look. Were you going to say true there? Yeah, that's not a good word. Classic Joker look. Less tattoos and less gangster. Okay. A bit more maniac. Chances are he's only going to be in this film for a couple of scenes, but we have at least got confirmation and have now seen from the from the new trailer that he will be in scenes with Ben Affleck's Batman, which is very exciting to see the two of these actually come face to face for once, uh, because obviously that's never happened in this universe before and may never happen again. So the fact that you even get to see Joker and Batman in the trailer together and him say the name Batman, um, it's very exciting to me anyway, even if it is in this potential alternate future dystopian post dark side invasion timeline any thoughts on the the fact that that's how they're going to get to be in a scene together um maybe a little bittersweet because it doesn't it's not really real it's just his dream so. yeah i still oh, i still don't quite know how that's all going to work because it seems like it is a version of the future but it's a version of the future that bruce has dreamt just, just a dream Unless he's got some new secret powers that we don't know about. No, but then there is this whole thing about Flash and the cosmic treadmill and travelling through time and it being a potential future. I guess it, I mean, for, again, four hours, it's going to be something that gets revealed later down the line. But I am interested to see more of that world. And I'm interested as to how and why Joker is a central part of it. Or whether chaos there is a Joker. Absolutely. That's very true. Let's part Justice League right there. I feel like we've talked about this film to the end of time. Uh, we've only got a month to go until it gets released in the US and maybe, hopefully, fingers crossed, here in the UK. So there'll be plenty more to talk about once we've sat for four hours watching the whole thing. But in case, somehow, you've been living under a rock and you don't know what we're talking about, Zack Snyder's Justice League will release in North America on HBO Max on March the 18th. There is a new website uh, for Zack Snyder's Justice League, an official website through the DC site. If you check that out, it will tell you the local release date for your area if it has been announced. Uh, if it has not, like us here in the UK, you have to wait for more news, but we will let you know as soon as we know what is going on. As I knew the trailer was going to take up quite a lot of time in this podcast, uh, I've shelved a couple of stories that I was thinking we were going to talk about. But if you're wanting to keep up to date with all the latest news, then head to our website. And don't forget, we release a weekly news video on Friday nights, which releases on Twitter, Instagram TV and YouTube. And that's just a quick roundup of the biggest stories from the week. So if there's anything we don't talk about in here, you can always catch up with it on there. Our next story is also trailer related, and this is about the newest trailer for Marvel Studios and Disney Plus's Falcon and Winter Soldier, which premieres on Disney Plus globally on March the 19th, which is the day after Justice League. So that's going to be a very busy week. So given the success of WandaVision, which we've now seen the first six episodes of, we've got three more to go until the season finale. What are you thinking about this? I'm still slightly on the fence with this one. Um, it, it feels a bit more... Marvel mm, yeah. um, recipe. Yes, it does, doesn't it? It f- feels like one division has been a step forwards and that this, I really don't want to say step backwards, but in terms of the, the formula, I think it's a step backwards slightly. It's a home comfort. You know exactly what you're going to get. A bit of action, a bit of comedy, and no consequence. <laughs> I do think that there are some similarities between this and Winter Soldier, though, which is a good sign because that is a genuinely great Marvel film. It's got a little bit of that political, bit more gritty, brawly type fighting style to it, rather than the the more glorified comic book styling. Do you think? 
Yeah, I think so. There's less superhero than this, isn't it? Yeah, it still feels like it's got the comedic element that you're sort of used to in Marvel these days. But I think there's a there's still a little bit more of an edge to it, which I'm hoping sticks throughout the series as well. We don't know much about the storyline, but it certainly seems like there's still no decision about who the new Captain America is. There's that very symbolic scene where uh, Anthony Mackie throws the shield and then Sebastian Stan catches it. Um, I'm referring to them by their actors' names rather than their character names. So that seems very much up in the air. I don't know if that'll be an integral part, but it's interesting to see that the, there isn't a kind of foregone conclusion as to who is the new Cap. Well, he's coming back, isn't he? There are rumours that he's coming back, but the rumour is that he'll be Captain Cap Hydra, Hydra Cap, in Doctor Strange rather than himself as we know him from his films. Uh, okay. And that actually the multiverse of madness will be you know, how, in theory, if he does come back, he will come back and not be Captain America. It will be like a, a horrible moment of, well, here's Chris Evans, but it's not the Chris Evans that you like. It's actually a horrible villainous version. Or it's the Silver Surfer, or whatever his name was. Torchman, Flame Boy. He is supposedly, potentially, going to suit up again as uh, the Human Torch. Yes, Flame Boy. <laughs> oh, dear. Is there anything that you would like to see from this? I mean, they're not two of the A-list characters. They're probably not two of the characters that either you or I would call our favourites from the MCU. So is there anything that you particularly would want to see from them? No, not really. They're not two characters that I would sort of gravitate towards in the MCU. No, that I gravitate to a lot of the MCU characters. You would probably say the same about Wanda and Vision, though, wouldn't you? So yeah. there, there is the potential there for you to be as pleasantly surprised by that as you have been by WandaVision. It's true. I'm very much enjoying WandaVision. And that's something that we will talk about in a future podcast as well. I very much kept One Division off the table for this podcast so that we can talk about it once the season is done, because I just don't think there's much point in talking about the theories behind One Division until we've got the bigger picture. What I do think is quite nice here, which maybe One Division didn't have quite so much because of the unique premise, but I feel like there's a lot less riding on this one. One Division still had some of the post endgame sort of buzz and had the whole how is vision alive why are they in a sitcom so that suddenly put a lot of pressure on it to do something different and do it well which it has absolutely done uh, if if for any reason you want to read my reviews or watch my reviews they're available on the website and on youtube um but back to my point this doesn't feel like it has any of that i don't feel like there's any pressure i don't have any expectation whatsoever i feel like like you just said i know what i'm going to get and i think i'm going to enjoy it which is quite nice. Listeners at home, Martin's doing that thing where he's nodding at me, forgetting that you can't see him. I'm doing it really loud so you can hear my neck creak. <laughs> Much like you can probably hear a cat uh, purring in my lap. There's not a lot else to say about this one. We will pick it up again once the full season one is out and we're able to talk about the, the, the bigger picture with that one, much like One Division. So as I said, Marvel's Falcon and the Winter Soldier is streaming on Disney Plus globally from March the 19th, 2021. If you're not already mind blown from Justice League the day before, you get a little bit of Marvel and a little bit of DC that week, which would be quite good fun. March is actually a really busy month because you've also got the end of WandaVision and you've got the release of Godzilla vs. Kong. So compared to where we were like a year ago, March is, March is looking up pretty well. That's it for the news this week. If there's a story you'd like us to cover, or if there's uh, something that you just want to get involved and tell us about, then please do get in touch. You can find us on Twitter, at GetYourComicCon. We're the same on Instagram and also on Facebook. 
Now, we promised you that we were going to bring back comic book reviews. We're not very good at consistently talking about comics, which is quite disappointing for a comic book podcast. But here we go. I'm going to kick off and I'm going to talk about Future State Dark Detective, which is part of DC Comics' Future State Initiative. It's a series whereby in January and February all of the major comics from DC have been shelved and they've been replaced by new stories which are not too far in the future. It's all about five, ten years in the future from where we we are in the present day storylines. And it's showing us the perspective of some characters that we know well and others that we are only just being introduced to and just showing us a potential future for the DC Universe post-Death Metal by Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo. So the first one I'm going to talk about is called Dark Detective. This is the story of Bruce Wayne. It's written by Mariko Tamaki with artwork by Dan Mora and colours by Jordi Belair. This is one of the ones that's been releasing fortnightly throughout Future State. So where some books are only releasing two issues, this one is releasing four across the two-month period. We currently have issues one, two, and three all available. Issue four is out, I believe, next week. It's a really interesting story about Bruce Wayne and what's happened to him in this future timeline. If you're reading the next Batman, you know that somebody else is currently in the cowl, and that's a major storyline that's taking place in the... I guess more high level area of Gotham whereas Dark Detective is very much a street level story about a Batman who doesn't have the Bat family, doesn't have Alfred, doesn't have the cave, doesn't have any of his money, has access to nothing. It's a very belt and braces kind of Batman that's I said it in my review of issue three I think it is that it's almost like a a re-origin of Batman where he's he's relearning the city and learning his way around again based in this new uh, this new kind of future state, to use the title of the whole thing, that we find him in. So Gotham has been taken over by a, um, a law enforcement group known as the Magistrate. They are littered throughout all of the books which are set in Gotham, so Harley Quinn, The Next Batman, Robin, Eternal, they all touch on the Magistrate storyline. And the Magistrate has outlawed masks and vigilantes in Gotham, and they have... Uh, seemingly killed Bruce Wayne or killed where well, it is actually Bruce Wayne I don't believe he's in costume at the time uh, killed Batman so there is there is some talk of whether the, the magistrate knows what Bruce Wayne's alter ego is and it becomes a again and much as the title says it's a detective story so there's no there's no huge supervillains there's no Joker there's no Riddler there's no Penguin it's a it's a detective story with Bruce as he tries to piece together what's been going on behind the scenes and what is the ulterior motive of the magistrate Gotham is incredibly I keep in fact I keep saying it's very similar to the Batman Beyond Gotham it's very day glow it's very neon there's lots of colors it looks nothing like the Gotham that you would expect if you were reading a present day uh, Batman comic book it's it's much more colourful, it's much more vibrant, and it's just interesting to see Bruce Wayne being a fish out of water in his own city, as it were. It feels like a very different Bruce Wayne that we're seeing, and fits perfectly this idea that we're not seeing the characters as we know them. It's very easy to do a future story and say, well, it's Batman, but he's just a bit older, or it's Batman and he's injured or you know there were there were perspectives on batman that are much closer to home than this so it's really interesting to see him in a in a very different position have you read this one yet no i haven't i highly recommend that you do this has ended up being my my go-to that's why i picked dark detective and wonder woman because they've been my two go-tos through future state 
just because uh, Wonder Woman presents a brand new character, and this one is just so different from what you would expect from a Batman story, but still has all the core aspects of the character that I think it's a really worthwhile read. And Dan Morrow's artwork is absolutely stunning. He does the covers for these as well, and they've just been really, really exciting books to, to look at. There's a back story as well in issues one and three. It's a story about Grifter and Huntress, and in issue two and potentially, I presume, issue four is a story about Red Hood and Ravager, which feels a bit like Titans of the Future, which is really, really interesting. I don't want to spoil too much for anybody that's not read it who's waiting for all four issues to be out, but it's just a very... It's very different, it's very exciting, and it's it's a hugely worthwhile read in what could have been a bit of a cash cow for DC to try this new thing and see what works and what doesn't, but it feels like a, a, a really genuine story that is well realised and worthwhile reading. So as I said, issues one to three of DC Future State Dark Detective by Mariko Tamaki with artwork by Dan Mora are available to purchase now in print and on digital, wherever comic books are sold. Before I throw it over to you for a comic book, let's talk about Batman's Soul of the Dragon. So this is a 70s martial arts movie, so it's very much an Elseworlds story, from Warner Brothers Animation and DC Comics. It's not based on any comic book, it's a completely original story. The cast list for this one is... David Giantoli as Bruce Wayne Batman, Martin's favourite Mark Dacascos as Richard Dragon, Kelly Hu as Lady Shiva, and Michael Jai White as Ben Turner. Synopsis for this is, In the 1970s, a missing teacher of martial arts is the subject of a quest by his devoted and brilliant but distant students who include Batman. It's also Bronze Tiger, Lady Shiva, and Richard Dragon. What did you think of this film? thought it was all right it was a bit nuts um and it was once you sort of resign yourself to an else worlds yeah then it's fine i because it's batman people are obviously going to presume i'm going to go it's amazing it's like the best thing ever uh, i felt like there wasn't a huge amount of batman in this so i almost wonder whether it didn't need to be called batman soul of the dragon but i understand that you need a dc character to anchor it but I feel like he's much more Bruce Wayne in this film than he is Batman. However, if you are a fan of martial arts movies and 70s martial arts movies, I think this is a brilliant recreation. Yeah, I think it is. I think with all of these kind of martial arts movies, the story is always a little bit second place to some of the action. There tends to be much more to the villain and the fight setup than there being a hugely detailed, layered, complex story, I think. I feel like you're more versed in martial arts movies than me. Um, I do like a good martial arts film. I do like a good 70s mar- martial arts film. It felt very much like that. I mean, there isn't much of a story. It's more about the fighty. Yeah, exactly. That's what, so that's what I'm trying to say. I think in recreating it, it doesn't have to rely on a particularly complex story, which you kind of come to expect from some of these animated movies. So I think it was quite nice to just be able to sit back and enjoy the action rather than having to think, okay, this is what's going on here, they're on a quest to do this, this is what this person's for. It was quite nice. I liked that they used um, Richard Dragon, because that's a great way into the martial arts side of things, and that aspect of this Elseworlds. But the use of Lady Shiva and Bronze Tiger I thought was really good as well. A very classic martial art origin type people, aren't they? And Michael J. White as um, Bronze Tiger. 
the character that he played in the Arrowverse. It's nice that they they brought him over consistency-wise to still play the character. I was a little bit unsure about some of the, I guess, updates, or you can't really call it an update because it's set in the 70s, changes to the Batman origin. So, like, they still went to Nanda Parbat, and it was still a temple, but it wasn't Rachel Ghul. That threw me slightly. That's sort of... If you look at all the other stuff, it is very much like a a temple. If you look at just these dark and dead man, whenever they go to Nandaparbet, it is like a holy temple. That's true. I think I, in my head, I thought that it was Batman's origin story, but told in the seventies, and it obviously wasn't. To some respect, you had the the. He's he's only called Sensei, isn't he? You only had the Sensei character instead, who was sort of the anchor point and was the the teacher. So it was interesting to see a different version of Batman who had a father-son relationship with his mentor rather than the relationship that he has with Raish. But I guess that makes sense when it comes to the end of the film in the sort of climactic battle and, and why it has to be that way around. I don't want to spoil it, so I'm not going to say any more about that. What did you think of the what story was there overall? Um, there wasn't a huge amount of story overall. Um, and the story that was there was a bit nuts, but then it fit the genre. So, and so did you? Would you say you enjoyed what story there was? Um, it was alright. I mean, the fighting kind of took over a bit, which was fine. So, speaking as somebody who is a, what color belt are you? Or I'm not really anything. What color belt were you? I was almost a black belt. So speaking as someone who is almost a black belt, how did you feel they did the martial arts side of things? It was very well done. I mean, as well as you can do it in animation. Yeah, I mean, for an animation, it was quite good. And speaking of the animation, what did you think of the style? I'm not a massive fan of that sort of new Superman animation style. I suppose I didn't think of it as looking like that, but actually looking at stills, you you are right to a, some degree there are quite bold lines around the outside. I felt like the characters in Man of Tomorrow were quite pale in skin tones, whereas this felt a little bit more vibrant in colour to me. So it's a bit like Brave and the Bold. That's a good point. It is a bit brave in the bold esque, I suppose. Yeah. Very cheesy. Very kapow. Brilliant soundtrack, uh, which I must look up and see who it is. It has a very. Uh, do I want to call it funky? I think I probably would call it funky. 70s style soundtrack. I think they, they recreated those 70s aspects really, really well in not just the story and the martial arts, but the, the way the whole thing is done. Funk was very big in the 70s. Well, exactly. Composed by uh, Joachim Horsley. Hmm. That's not a name that I am aware of, but he did a really good job of creating a 70s soundtrack. Was there anything that you weren't so keen on in it? Um, Not really. Just that there wasn't a huge amount of story, but once you give yourself up to the, the genre and realise it's not really a Batman film, you're all right. And it's got no wider universe connections because it's an Elseworlds story, so it's very self-contained. On first watch, I was not hugely gripped by it, I have to say. The second time I watched it, I was a little bit more gripped by it, and I picked up on more details. And I realised that, uh, having watched it the first time, I thought Batman was only in it in the third act, whereas actually he does suit up earlier in the film, uh, which does tell you that I obviously wasn't paying full attention the first time I watched it. Um... But I do think this is one of the more easy-watch films in the DC animated universe. I think this is a kind of kickback, put it on in the background, read a book, or 
be doing something else at the same time type film. Would you agree? Mm, yeah, I think so. You don't have to pay full attention to it, but it's there. Yes, absolutely. Would you recommend this? Um, yeah, why not? Who would you recommend it to? Everybody. <laughs> okay. Is there anybody you wouldn't recommend it to? No, or just not nice people. <laughs> I like asking you awkward questions. It's funny looking at you squirm and go, how am I supposed to answer that? Stop asking me questions. I too would recommend this film. I haven't finished my written review yet. It'll be coming out in the next few days. But it is definitely an Elseworlds film worth watching. And Actually, how do you think it stacks up against other Elseworlds films? So we've had things like um, Superman Red Sun. We've had Batman uh, Gotham by Gaslight. We've had a few Elseworlds films now. What do you, where does this stack up for you against some of those? Uh, if you compare it to like Red Sun, it's probably one of the a weaker okay. in the list. If you compare it to Gotham by Gaslight? I don't remember that one in the slightest. Okay, well there we go. That says it all, doesn't it? <laughs> Maybe slightly stronger than that one. <laughs> okay, well Batman's Soul of the Dragon is available now on digital and is also available to purchase on DVD and Blu-ray. You can pick it up where all good films are sold. I'm going to throw it to you now for you to tell us about a comic book. Would you like to introduce your comic book and tell us all about it? I can have a go. <laughs> Let's kick back and see if uh, Martin has prepared for this segment of which he is in charge. I have not. Would you like me to do the vital statistics on this one? Um, if you want to, you can do so Future State, Robin Eternal, number one, is written by Megan Fitzmartin, with pencils by Eddie Barrows, inks by Eva Ferreira, and colours by Adriano Lucas. It's got quite a long synopsis, which is, Lazarus Resin is on its way to Gotham City, and the magistrate intends to use this regenerative superdrug to make its forces immortal, that is, unless Tim Drake has anything to say about it. During the ultimate heist at 20,000 feet, as Robin and Spoiler hijack the Sky Convoy that could mean the end of freedom in Gotham forever if the emotional baggage between Tim and Stephanie doesn't do them in first. It's the fist-flying, skydiving, robot-smashing, fascist-punching adventure that you cannot miss from rising star writer Megan Fitzmartin of Supernatural and top artist Eddie Barrows from Detective Comics. That was pretty much it, really. I mean, you've sort of summed it up beautifully. Well, that was the synopsis, but we would like to know why you enjoyed it. So I enjoyed it. Why did I enjoy it? I enjoyed it because it was a return of Tim Drake into the Robin role. Mm-hmm. It was nice to see Stephanie coming back. Uh, spoiler. Yep. I realise now that I probably should have read uh, Dark Detective and some of the other Batman-based future state books before this one because I hadn't a clue what was going on. I don't know who the magistrate was. So they haven't given away a huge amount about the magistrate. Uh, I... The first Future State book that I read was Harley Quinn and that gives a little bit of groundwork as to the fact that Jonathan Crane's working for them helping to round up criminals and then in the next Batman you learn that vigilantes have been um, outlawed and through Dark Detective you understand that they've been wiping out vigilantes and in Nightwing you learn that he's fighting back against them. So that's kind of all we know from round one, the number ones. So it feels like Robin came at the end of all of that. Seems like it. It picks up little bits of all of that, and I was like, oh, "We're not really sure what's going on here," because he mentions Nightwing, he mentions Red Hood, he mentions Damien, they mention the Magistrate, and what's going on. So I wasn't really sure what was happening, but it was a very high impact story that was go 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 from the minute. Mm, I have actually read this, and I really enjoyed it. I've read the second one as well. 
So yeah, so it was nice to see Tim eight back in a, in a row. I do like reading a Tim Drake Robin. And it was nice to see him back with Spider. Now, aren't there some circumstances around her return? Where is she when he finds her? Uh, that's not me. That's not a pointed question. That's in the back of my mind, me thinking I'm sure there was something about the way she comes into it. It was a very pointed question. So she kind of reluctantly comes back to it because she's sort of handed in the the mantle of a vigilante because of a traumatic death or a loss, and she comes in to to save Tim's Tim's butt. Really, he's she has some interesting augmentations to her costume. She has adopted the bat logo and the old breastplate as well, which is a new one for her. She's also missing an eye. Yes, that's what I'm thinking about. She's missing an eye. I was going to say she's mute, but that's the other character. No, so yes, who brings in a a We Are Robin character, Darcy? Darcy, that's the one, yep. She's not mute, she's deaf. Yes, sorry. There's a lot of sign language in the second issue, um, which is what's pigging in my mind. Yes, it was interesting. I was interested to see how they could draw a sign language. Not very well. No, it's difficult, and it does note in there, I think, that it's no particular type of sign language as well. Yeah, because there was what, a note from the editor to see something about grammar. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Don't know what else to say, really. I mean, it was a good book. High impact. Read the other ones first if you're going to read it, if you want to know what's going on or have a, a sense of what's going on. But ultimately, you can still read it if you don't know what's going on. It's still a nice story. What did you like about the artwork? That was very good. Very, like as you said earlier, very keen to Batman Beyond with the Neos, the sort of the futuristic state of the city, uh, heavy influence of these sort of cyber police type mm. people that are hunting the vigilantes, and a very cliffhangery ending as well. Is this so? Is this the only future state book you've read so far? Yes. So how do you how have you uh, taken to this pause on everything else and jump into the future? I don't know. I kind of I don't really read a lot of mainstream DC anyway, so it was a bit of a not a shock to the system, but just a bit oh what's going on trying to catch up. I love that you're trying to do this with a cat licking his ass on your lap. I know it's very distracting. It's very smelly as well. What was I saying? Artwork. Oh, the difference between uh, Future State and the the other the rest of the continuity. Yeah, very different. Just because it's one of those short tie-in storylines that I struggle with slightly having to read lots of different things across yeah. lots of different brands. I like to read things sort of in a one go. So it's like the whole winter... What was the winter one? Endless winter. Endless winter. I missed that. I missed that book completely. <laughs> the only reason that I asked you was because I was just going to say whether it felt discernibly different to you than it does in the main continuity. I would say yes. That's good, because one of the major concerns with something like this is that it doesn't feel different enough, that it feels warranted that they do something like this, like pausing their entire line to tell something different. Uh, but I certainly my impression of it is that it, it feels discernibly different enough that it makes sense. I'm wishing now I spoke about Constantine or something. Why? Well, that's a bit more comfortable for me. I'm like, oh, this is all very new. <laughs> Well, we'll leave it there it's for you with uh, with Robin Eternal. And well done for doing that off the cuff without actually having prepared, but also black mark on the Christmas list for the fact that you didn't prepare for this, despite me telling you for two weeks, have you prepared a comic book? Wow. Don't maybe use the dad voice. On a lighter note, <laughs> we're going to talk about another film there, which is Barb and... I have to get the whole title right. I I'll quite often say Visit, not Vista. Barb and Star 
go to Vista Del Mar, which is available now to rent on digital platforms from Lionsgate. It stars Kristen Wiig, Annie Momolo and Jamie Dornan. The synopsis reads, take a trip and a break out of your shell with Barb and Star. From the gals who brought you Bridesmaids, co-stars and co-writers Kristen Wiig and Annie Momolo, comes Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar. Lifelong friends Barb and Star embark on the adventure of a lifetime when they decide to leave their small midwestern town for the first time ever. Romance, friendship and a villain's evil plot. Hold on to your culottes. Barb and Star debuts in your home on February the 12th. Now this is slightly out of my wheelhouse because I'm not great with comedy. It's a bit more in yours because you enjoy a comedy and you do love Bridesmaids. And I'm sure somebody probably thinks, why on earth is a comic book podcast talking about Barb and Star? But when the email came in to say that this was available if I wanted to review it, I jumped at the chance because I have been neck deep in horror for about four months. (laughs) And I felt like it would be a nice change to watch a comedy. And lo and behold... I thought it was completely flipping bonkers, but I really enjoyed it. How about you? I mean, it was right up my street, really. What more could you ask for? Kristen Wiig, comedy, Jamie Dornan, singing. I know, it's taken all the boxes. Had a bit of Madonna in the trailer. I was about to say did it, but yes, holidays in the trailer, isn't it? All right, I just I I really struggled to review this, not because I didn't like it, because I did, I really enjoyed it, but it's just, how do you describe this film? I don't think you can really. You've just got to watch it and then try and understand what it's about. Even if you watch the trailer and you think you know what it's about, you don't. You really don't, because there are certain characters that you don't see in the trailer that are integral to the plot. I don't feel like the trailer gives away anything about the kind of the villainous plot and the the machinations of what's going on there no you've just got to watch it <laughs> so what about it did you really enjoy and don't just say everything um everything really I mean, <laughs> it was just so nuts and random and awful but good awful you watch a film you think oh god that was really awful and that should not work but it did I did say in my review, I didn't say it was awful, <laughs> but I said uh, uh, good awful. The, the 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 various elements in it just shouldn't work individually. They work, but not together. So Barb and Star take okay. Let's take Barb and Star. So they are middle aged Midwestern American ladies. A couple of sad stories about husbands that have left or passed away. They've been living together. They've basically morphed into one person, and they've never left the house. Uh, that works and is hilarious because Andy Momolo and Kristen Wiig are great. Pair that with the villain who is some kind of supervillain who is allergic to the sun that has beef with Vista Del Mar and also has the very dependent, very emotionally needy boyfriend in Jamie Dornan's Edgar. I think Jamie Dornan playing comedic is possibly what threw me the most about this film. We're used to being either a serial killer or a dominatrix. I've never seen fifty any of the Fifty Shades movies, so I, I can't vouch for having seen that. But yeah, I've seen The Fall, and I've seen... Recently I've watched him in Synchronic, which is quite a serious drama film. So I'm just used to him playing 
either dark or straight. So seeing him play comedy is just mind-boggling. I mean, he throws himself into the role. He does. I mean, I, that's one of the things that I think makes this film work really well, is that everyone's fully 100% committed to the absurdity of the whole thing. It's very reminiscent of our Leslie Nielsen film. You said that to me when we were watching it, didn't you? What What about it do you feel reflects that kind of era of filmmaking? So sort of a bit 80s, but not really 80s. Yeah. Utterly, utterly bonkers. Like really slapstick, over the top. Yeah. Stunts yeah, yeah, I know what you mean, actually. Sticks and really sort of obvious humour. In normal terms, you'd think, oh God, it, that shouldn't work. But because it's them and they're so committed to it, it works really well. You're making me think of Naked Gun during the like Oscars ceremony, where it's like a situation, a scenario that's really normal that you understand, you know, stage, awards, read out the nominations, and then you've got like him swinging from the rafters, fighting with somebody, and just random things are happening that are so slapstick, like you just said, that they just don't fit. And actually, yeah, you're right, that is what it is, isn't it? It is that... I mean, it's just two women that go on holiday, but they go on holiday and get stuck in the middle of some kind of, like, end-the-world plot. Which is the thing that's so unexpected about this film. I thought it was just going to be a comedy about two women going on holiday and it being nuts. Not, like, someone's going to try and kill them. Told you. Nice and else. <laughs> I also didn't realise I would end up intimately aware of what culottes are by the end of a film. I mean, I didn't know beforehand, but now I feel like I, I do, yeah. What you you're wearing them? I'm wearing jeans. <laughs> what did you think of the musical aspects of the film? Unexpected, but again, I enjoyed it. Who knew Jamie Dornan could sing? I, for one, did not know that Jamie Dornan could sing, and I, for one, uh, have been listening to Edgar's Prayer a lot in the last forty-eight hours. I know you keep singing it. Are you yawning? I am. Yes. Am I boring you? A little bit. Were there any points in the film where you felt it went too far? I think the whole film went too far, but you've just got to embrace it and love it for what it is. I Yeah, sorry. I, what I mean is, was there anything that you didn't enjoy so much because you felt, oh, okay, they really didn't need to do that? No. It was a very clever script, I think. Mm, yeah. Kristen Wiig and Annie Romola do know how to write a banging script. I'll give them that. I felt like the sort of slightly Austin Powers-esque villain storyline might not work once I knew that it existed. But although I think it teeters on going a little bit too far at times, it never went too far for me. And actually, I enjoyed it at the end of the day. It was farcical beyond belief, but it was, I hate to say this phrase, it was the laugh I needed at the time. Oh, God. That phrase is so overdone, thanks to this pandemic, but... I needed a good laugh, and this film gave me exactly that. Yeah. And I would watch it again. It, I didn't feel like once was enough. Well, sorry, that's probably the wrong way to say it. It was a great watch, and I feel I would watch it again. It has rewatchability. That's the uh, that's the phrase I'm looking for. Favourite song? Do, do they have names? I mean... They do have names. Uh, I like so... the seagull song. So that's Edgar's Prayer. You've also got uh, the Palm Vista Hotel, which is the song when they check in. And you've got uh, I Love Boobies by uh, Richard Cheese. 
the guy in the hotel lobby, uh, my friends from high school, which is also Richard Cheese, and I Love Boobies Reprise from later in the film. Oh, if you get the soundtrack, there is also I Love Boobies extended version <laughs> at the end of the soundtrack. God, he really loves them, doesn't he? he? He really does. The only thing that I felt was maybe a little bit undercooked was uh, the Wayans brother character. Because he's kind of billed as being part of the main cast in the film, but I didn't feel like he was in it all that much. No, he didn't get to see his face either. Until the very end. No, you don't, do you? He's sort of in disguise. I guess probably part of that sort of brand of comedy. That's about the only thing I could nitpick from the whole film was that it felt like he was a little bit undercooked. <laughs> Outside of the characters and the music and all of that, I do think there's also a lot of care and attention that goes into the rest of making this film as well. So, like, the set design of the Palm Vista Hotel is great. It's very colourful. It's very vibrant. I think the whole thing is really well made on top of being very funny. Very Golden Girls. Yeah? Oh, is that because it's Florida? Or just because of, like, the like really bad palm tree wallpaper and everything's very bright and organized. Yeah. <laughs> Golden Girls. Hmm. The only thing that was missing was Betty White. I don't feel like I need to ask you this, but would you recommend this film? Yes. Who would you recommend it to? Everybody. <laughs> Where is it available? Um, I think you can rent it. Yes. Where um, all good movies are sold. Yes. That's the phrase I'm looking for. Where can they get it? Where all good movies are sold. <laughs> I'm not sure when it's getting a full release that you can purchase. At the moment, it's only available for rental, but we'll keep you updated. If you want to read my written review of Barb and Star, go to Vista Del Mar. It's up on the website now www.getyourcomicon.co.uk Final review for this podcast another comic book because we're bringing you three comic books I'm going back into DC Future State for the new Future State Wonder Woman Uh, so there are two issues of this which are available and this stars the brand new Wonder Woman which is Yara Floor she is created written and uh, drawn by the wonderful Joel Jones. Now, sadly, we've just discovered that this uh, this Wonder Woman um, is not going to be going to pilot at the CW. They had developed a script for a Yara Floor TV series, but that has been passed on by the CW. It could always go to HBO Max, but for now, she will be confined to the pages of DC Comics. But, you know, she's only been in a handful of issues, so it could be a little bit early to, to know whether she's ready for the jump to, to live action. But the reason I wanted to talk about this was because... So much of Future State is based on where are characters that we know now. So like Bruce Wayne, like Tim Drake, like you've just talked about. There are some changes to the universe with uh, Diana being in the immortal Wonder Woman due to where she is at the end of uh, Death Metal. And Clark has been replaced by John as, as Superman. So there are changes. But Yara is a completely new invention for this this two-month initiative. And she's a really wonderful character. Again, I know I said this during Dark Detective earlier, but you could have interpreted this as as a way for DC to say, okay, let's try and introduce a whole shedload of new characters. We'll throw them all out there in these random short stories. Whatever works, we'll keep. What doesn't work, we'll get rid of. And yes, Yara Floor already has her own series, which is going to be launching later in the year. But actually, she's such a worthwhile new character that it just it would be missing an opportunity not to bring her back after this. She isn't just a version of Diana, but from Brazil. She has her own origin, she has her own mythology, and she has her own character as well. She's very ballsy, 
she's i was gonna uh, nearly said arrogant she's not arrogant at all she has a really sharp wit to her that is just it's different than diana she doesn't have that kind of regal stately presence that diana has she's she's more raw she's younger and she's just a real breath of fresh air and in this series and in the the superman wonder woman series in which she teams up with john as well she's also part of the future state justice league and that is again is another interesting perspective on this new character the storyline in this book sees her going after a um an amazonian who is trapped in hell so she gets to entangle with hades and you get to touch on some of diana's wonder woman history and how that ties into this new wonder woman's history but it's just it's really interesting to see how you can take a mythology from another part of the world and make it work with the wonder woman brand the costuming is different the weapons are different it's just a whole different attitude and it all works really really well i don't want to say too much because it's such an original story and i don't want to spoil it but it is probably more so than dark detective my absolute go-to out of this two-month period of dc uh, investigating this new future world and it's a yes it's a you could say it's a tick box exercise for representation but park that listen to my rant in the last episode where i talked about star trek it's just it's a really brilliant series that i cannot recommend enough seems interesting seems very different I was going to say, I said all of that, and that's all you have to tell me. What else to say, really? I mean, you say a lot of things. That's because you were looking at your phone. Well, it's phased out a little bit. <laughs> I got that it was different. I got it was dark. I got Hades. I got it's a different Wonder Woman. That's what you need to know, really. It's not being picked up. You never know. Huge people may pick it up. That's the TV series, not the comic book. Oh, my God. Get with the picture. Interestingly, this book is called Wonder Woman, where her solo series, which is going to be starting in uh, in May, which is also going to be by Joelle Jones, is called Wonder Girl. So she's uh, represented in that as even younger and has a different costume, which is still uh, reminiscent of what will be her Wonder Woman costume, but also Diana's Wonder Woman costume. So it's going to be really interesting to go back in time and learn a bit more about her history. But she certainly much more than I expected from a new character being injected into this kind of event-type storytelling. And that is why I think you should rush out and read DC Future State Wonder Woman, of which issues one and two are available to purchase now in digital and on print, where all good comic books are sold. That was an even more concise review than the last one. It was. It was about 15 minutes. (laughs) Well, that's all we have time for in this episode. Thank you for tuning in and listening. Uh, That just leaves me with uh, my my new uh, happy moment where I get to say thank you and hello to uh, Patreons. So, Claire, I'm saying hello to you. Martin, say hello to Claire. Hello, Claire. (laughs) You should know by now to just speak in unison with me in these moments. I wasn't paying attention again, I'm sorry. Of course not. We'll be back in a couple more weeks where we will hopefully talk about some more comic books. Um, Martin might prepare. We'll have to wait and see. We'll see. (laughs) So until next time, bye. bye!